Today's reading of God's Word comes from the book of Mark, chapter 5, verses 1 through 20. You can find this in your pew Bible on page 840 or in the following Jesus Bible on page 1075. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him, and crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God. Do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him, saying, Send us into the pigs. Let us enter them. So he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, And the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country. And people came to see what it was that had happened. And when they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. And as he was getting into the boat, the man who had, possessed, who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. God. Um, So as the children and Miss Brittany are lining up, if you don't have sermon notes or a sheet to take sermon notes today, you're going to want to get one. It's not that the sermon's that good. Uh, We're going to be doing an activity over half the time, and if you don't have a piece of paper you're going to be checked out. And so uh, maybe that's not the kind of learner that you are taking notes. That's okay. I'm not saying you got to do it forever. You're going to want a piece of paper and something to write, or you're going to be really bored and feel really silly uh, for at least half of our time together uh, this morning. Now, um, if you've been a a Christian for very long, um, you've no doubt heard this story before of Jesus delivering the garrison demoniac from Uh, the legion of demons. And there's a lot in this story that we could talk about. There's a lot of questions that no doubt you have. We're not going to look at the whole narrative this morning. We're going to zoom in on one little piece that comes right at the end of the story. And uh, if if you're upset, I'm not doing the whole thing. It's Todd's fault. I led a devotion on this like three months ago, and he said, that's a sermon. You need to preach that. So I I listened to our elder. We're just going to zoom in on the tail end of this narrative. So zoom in, verse 14 of chapter 5. It says, the herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, and people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. 
And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he, that is Jesus, was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. So the people from this region called the Decapolis wanted nothing to do with Jesus. They had this wild man filled with a legion of demons they couldn't control. He, he would tear chains and shackles off of himself. And now Jesus has come in and Jesus is stronger than that guy. Jesus overpowered the one that none of them could possibly overpower. And what that means is they don't want Jesus around here. <laughs> they didn't want that guy around here. They definitely don't want Jesus around. They don't want to have anything to do with him. But the same is not true for the man who'd been delivered from the demons. Verse 18 says he wanted to be with him. This man wanted to go with Jesus as the 13th disciple. He wanted to sit at Jesus's feet. He wanted to follow Jesus. And I think all of us in hearing that would say that's a very noble, beautiful, good response to the powerful thing that Jesus has just done in his life. Jesus has just set him free. And in his joy and freedom and affection for Jesus, he wants to be with Jesus. In, in, in contrast to the people of the Decapolis, their fear, their unbelief, their rejection of Jesus, this man is a remarkable picture of faith. And how does Jesus respond to his request? He says no. Look again at verses 18 and 19. As he was getting into the boat, the man who'd been possessed with the demons begged him, begged him that he might be with him, and he did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So Jesus wouldn't permit the man to join his evangelistic band. Instead, what did he tell this man? He said, instead of coming with me, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you. So when I was studying this, what, two or three months ago, I noticed an ambiguity in the Greek text. It doesn't actually say go home to your friends. There is a Greek word for friends. It's not in this verse. Instead, there's a more ambiguous term, and you can see that if you look at different English translations, you line them up against each other they'll word it kind of differently. Let me point out a couple of them here. So here's the English Standard Version. Go home to your friends. The New American Standard Bible, which tends to have a more literal, close to the, what the, the original language says, it says go home to your people. The word people is not in there either. So I, this is, take this for what it's worth, right? This is my translation. Go home to those who are yours. It doesn't say friends, it doesn't say people, it doesn't say family. It very literally says, go home to those who are yours and report to them what the Lord has done to you. So the question I want to ask is, to whom is Jesus sending this man? Is he sending him to his friends? Yes, certainly. Is he sending him to his family? Of course, he is sending this man back home to all those people who could be considered his. The people in his sphere of influence. His people. 
But why? Why can't he go with Jesus on mission with the disciples? First of all, he's a Gentile. He lives in the region of the Decapolis. That wouldn't be a good scene. To be going back to the Jews, Jesus' mission was primarily to the Jews, right? But I think there's a second and even better reason. If this man had gone with Jesus, he would have missed out on reaching his people. The people among whom he would have been the most effective. Namely, his family, his friends, his sphere of influence. Here's the principle that I think we can learn from this interaction. There are specific people whom God has chosen for you to reach. We've been talking about the lostness of St. Tammany Parish. You're not responsible for the whole population. There are specific people whom God has called you to reach. Now, there are people who are called to reach large groups of people to go out searching for lost people that they don't know. He had those 12 disciples with him, right? And what do we call these people? We call them evangelists. Evangelists are people especially called by God to promote and proclaim the gospel more broadly. I expect that some of you are evangelists. I hope that some of you are evangelists. But you may have heard the catchphrase before that every Christian is to be an evangelist. That doesn't seem to be true in the way, at least, that Paul talks about the work of evangelism. He says this in the book of Ephesians. And Christ gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Why does he call those people? To equip the saints, to equip the church. So are all of you called to be teachers? No, some are. Are all of you called to be shepherds, to be pastors or elders? No, but some are. In the same way, not all of you are called to this office of evangelist, but I think some of you are. I bet it's a handful of folks, just from experience. Usually in a church this size, if you're lucky, you get one or two, five at the most. I'd be thrilled to have five. But not every Christian is called to be an evangelist. That said, every one of you has a part to play in the redemption of St. Tammany Parish. In fact, every one of you has a certain group of people that God has chosen for you to reach. So in our text, this man had a very noble desire to go with Jesus, to, to fill this sort of evangelistic role with him, But Jesus had a a, a more narrow group for him to reach. And I believe that's the norm for most Christians. So most of us are called uh, to proclaim and promote Jesus among the people who are ours, which means our close family, our close friends, and people with whom we hold influence. These are the people to whom we're called. So consider the man delivered from this legion of demons. Where would his story have had the most power with people who've never met him before or with the people who had tried to compel him. Don't live in the wilderness. (laughs) Come home. The people who had tried to, to bind him with shackles and chains and seen him tear them apart, would he be more effective and powerful with them or with people that have never heard this? 
traveling around would be like a, a freak show in a, in a carnival, right? But going to the people who knew him and had seen him and who had longed for his restoration, among them his story would have power. In the same way, your family, your friends, the people who see you on a daily basis, they see your life. It's among them that when we proclaim the gospel, they can look at what we've been promoting with our life, and that's where the action is really good, right? Those are the people that see our lives, and when they hear our stories, are more likely to be compelled to say, who is this God? Who is this Lord that has done this in your life? So the question is, who are these people for you? Who are your close family? Who are your close friends? Among whom do you actually hold influence? We live in an increasingly digitized society. Uh, Each of you, no doubt, have co-workers, friends, even family whom you regularly meet uh, on Zoom or WebEx or FaceTime. Perhaps some of these friends and co-workers you've never even seen in the flesh. I believe there is a, a place for using these different kinds of technology. We've even used them in our ministry. You think of what we did with Glauber in Brazil here. I am increasingly convinced, however, that the best scenario, the ordinary means of promoting and proclaiming the gospel, doesn't happen with a screen between the two of you. It happens in the flesh. I appreciate that many of you do have family and friends that are far away. A lot of us are transfers to this area, myself included. But due to physical distance, you have lost influence with those people. And though you may desire to have more influence with them, you will not. Or at the very least, your influence will be greatly diminished in contrast. If a person is physically distant from you, except in rare circumstances, they are probably not the person that God is calling you to promote and proclaim the gospel to. I mean, you can. You have that freedom, and perhaps he is, but that is not the ordinary case. What I'm talking about is the people that you can sit down face-to-face over a meal. I'm talking about the people that you can embrace and feel the warmth of their tears. I'm talking about the people that you can say a hard truth or you can be confronted by them and you can see their faces flush. Because of the emotion that they're feeling. I'm talking about somebody that when you're in dire straits, you can quickly be knocking on their door to ask for help. There's a proverb that I've been bringing up in sermons for 15 years now, and it becomes more relevant every day. Better is a neighbor who is near than a brother who is far away. There are specific people whom God has chosen for you to reach. And God is calling you to invest deeply in those people and in those relationships. Who are they? They are people who are close to you relationally and in distance. If I was going to have parallel adverbs, I'd say proximically, but 
distance. <laughs> people who are close to your relationship, in relationship, and close to you by distance. These are the people whom God has called you to promote and proclaim the gospel among. These are the people over whom you actually hold meaningful influence. So here's what we're going to do. We've been beating around the bush for like three weeks now. We're going to get really, really specific. We're getting in the weeds now. Who has God called you to? Who are the people whom he wants you to proclaim and promote the gospel among? So turn over your sermon notes. There's a big old blank spot here. I've already warned you. I probably rushed, rushed it. There's one more blank on the other side. Sorry. You're, we're going to write on the back of that here in a second. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to build what's called an oikos map. Now, oikos is the Greek word for house or household, which is used in verse 19 of our text. And this is what we're trying to figure out. Sorry, I jumped the gun. An oikos map identifies the people who are close to you in proximity and relationship. That's how I should have said it. But are far from God. Who are the people that are close to you that are far from God? These could be friends. These could be people in your household. These could be co-workers, people with whom you share a hobby, people who live in your neighborhood. Uh, They could be anywhere close to you. So if I was going to make my own Oikos map, it would look like this. There's me. I'm right in the middle of it all, right? So let's start as close as I can to myself, right? So closest to me... I have some of my children have not yet professed faith in Jesus. They're close to me, but they're far from God, right? Presbyterians, we believe they're part of the visible church, but they are not in covenant with the Lord just yet. So that's, that's the first circle going on my sheet. As I start to move out from there, uh, where do I work? Here. And uh, guess what? There's a good number of FPC kids that are close to me and are still far from God. We're praying. We're, we're, we're telling the good news to them, but they don't all believe yet, right? So they're, they're going on my list for sure. Then I'm going to start moving out and think about my neighborhood, right? We're trying to think through um, proximity. So it takes some time. Like, you have to pray on this as you're doing it. You may not totally get yours done this morning, the Trail Life kids. I've got, the, I've got the, the, the five- and six-year-old boys, 17 of them, and 16 started the year at the age of five. A lot of them are far from the Lord still. So this is, is my Oikos map, or at least the beginning of it. Um, and um, you can see how I did this, uh, just kind of thinking through what's close to me. Um, let's see where I left off. I'm going to swap back over to my uh, computer real quick. So what we're going to do, we're going to take a few minutes for you to do what I just did. Uh, on the back of your sheet, here's some categories to kind of help you along the way. Family, friends, coworkers, neighborhood, hobbies, places. Maybe there's a place you hang out regularly, like the gym. Uh, maybe there's a coffee shop you go to all the time. There's some regulars you see. So you are a, you've become a fixture there. You could just write the gym. You don't have to have specific names. Um, but go ahead and do begin your Oikos map. I'll give you a few minutes to do that.
I'll give you like one more minute. It's the best kind of sermon where the pastor just stands there silent. If I didn't give you enough time, which is likely, I'll encourage you to, to work on this this afternoon. The Sabbath day belongs to the Lord. Uh, it's a great thing to do on a Sunday afternoon to think through who are the people that I'm close to that are far from God. But here's the challenge. It doesn't just end here. We've only done like maybe a third of our Oikos map thus far. It's our hope that as we are owning the lostness of St. Tammany Parish, as we are, are seeing that there are people in our community that don't have repeated opportunities to see, hear, and respond to the gospel of Jesus, as we are going to them, it's our hope that these people, whom we just identified, that they will come to know the Lord, and then they will go to the lost as well. That they will take up our fervency, our urgency to see the lost saved. That they will join us in reaching the people that they know. So what we want to know now is, the people you've just written down, who are the people that are close to them that are far from God? You see, when a person comes to Christ, they are at that very moment in a place where they have the most connections to people who are far from God. In the book, The Insider, Jim Peterson and Mike Shamey put it this way. Frequently, when people become Christians, they're encouraged, directly or indirectly, to make immediate radical changes in their worlds of relationships. Thus, when they put their faith in Christ, that's the last their old friends ever see of them. As they withdraw, they forfeit one of their best assets— their excellent field position, and they trade it for an impossible one. Thus, the person God intends to be an insider with the lost becomes an outsider. The same fault is committed, repeated all over the world. If the goal is every Christian playing his or her part in the redemption of St. Tammany, there's a role for the people that you're going to reach as well. Our goal, after all, is the spread of the glory and fame of Jesus. So we're going to take our Oikos map now a step further to demonstrate who are the people who are close to these folks but are far from God. I'm not going to do the whole one just for sake of time. We're not going to, you're not going to have time to do the whole one for sake of time. I'm just going to pick a, a couple. So, you know, with kids, who do my kids know that are, that are far from God? Well, they're friends at school. And they got friends in the neighborhood. I don't know their parents, but my kids know their kids, right? So now let's take just two minutes to look at your Oikos map, pick a few of the people, you can finish it later, and ask the Lord, who do these people know? Who are they close to that's far from God? And add an, another layer to your Oikos map. Go right ahead. Kick back a couple slides. You can be thinking through their family, friends, coworkers, neighborhood, hobbies, places, etc. Only two minutes for this one. You have thirty-five seconds. I've got a timer over there. Take some time this afternoon to finish it off. You want to come to Sunday school and ignore me and finish it? That's okay. I'm fine with that. Uh, adults, bring that to Sunday school. We're going to use it today um, in our Sunday school class. Um, so there will be kind of connection point. If you don't come to Sunday school, you want to see what it's about, 
It'll be a continuation of this conversation, and then uh, we can all go to lunch afterwards. So that'd be cool. You could do that. So you saw how I did that with a couple of people. Take some time this week and ask for the Spirit to, to help you fill in the blanks. There may still be some people who are close to you that are far from God that you didn't think of that could go on there. But what's the point of this? So we can be like, oh, man, look at all these lost people we know. Uh, no, that's not it. Your Oikos map is a tool to help you do two things. First, to help you know among whom God has called you to promote and proclaim the gospel. Look at that page. Those are the people that are yours. As Jesus sent that man back to those who were his, these are the people who are yours. These are the people among whom God has called you to promote and proclaim the gospel. So every other sermon in the rest of this sermon series, when we're talking about how do you promote the gospel, how do you proclaim the gospel, these are the people we're talking about. This isn't a faceless mass. This isn't just big West St. Tammany anymore, the 148,000 people that live in our backyard. No, you've got a handful of people. My little circle pretty small, Right? Yours is too. This is who we're talking about. These are the people. So we want you to know whom God has called you to so that you can pray for them. I want to invite you to take this Oikos map when it's done, put it on your bathroom mirror, put it in your Bible, wherever you're going to see it every day, so you can be praying for these people. These are the people whom God has called you to. These are, when we're talking about owning the lostness of our community, that's who we're talking about. So now, uh, I told you <laughs> this sermon series is going to get practical and actionable, and this is just the start. But I want to close with a question. Whatever happened to this guy? Delivered from a legion of demons, sent back to his hometown. What happened to him? Two chapters later, we find out. Jesus went back to the Decapolis. And what did he find when he got there? Were they ready to run him out on a rail again? Were they still afraid of him? Turn a couple chapters with me to Mark 7, verse 31. Jesus sent this man back to the Decapolis. When Jesus comes back, seven, chapter 7, verse 31, it says, Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. And what did they do? They brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment, and they begged him. To lay his hand on him. Just as the man had begged him, take me with you. Jesus said, no. He returns to the Decapolis and people are begging him. The same power you demonstrated when you were here before over that man. We want to see that same power in us. If we were to go to those who are ours. If we were to be, just begin praying for these people on this list. Is it possible that God could do the same. That they could see what's happened in your life and then they themselves flee to Jesus and say, come, come, do the same work in me that you've done in their lives. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are intentional, that you don't leave this work up to chance, but you have called these people to the people they've just written down. God, help us this week simply to pray to be praying for these people, and we ask, O Holy Spirit, that through the work of Jesus you would hear our prayers and that you would go after the hearts of these men, women, boys, and girls who are close to us but are far from you for now. This we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.